0: You are now listening to the September 26th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, Sermon, and Praying for the Next Generation. First, let's begin with Story of Kings.
1: Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian Winston from Story of Kings. During the last couple of weeks, we have been learning about the kings of southern Judah from Rehoboam to Abijah and Asa. During this period, Jeroboam was reigning over northern Israel as its first king. Kings Rehoboam, Abijah, and Asa made mistakes by momentarily depending on their experience, and worldly wisdom rather than God, but they repented of their evil acts and returned to God. In contrast, Jeroboam of northern Israel sinned before God and never returned back to him. In particular, King Asa, who was the third king of southern Judah, was considered a good king in both the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles. The Lord saw that he was good just and honest. As king, he led his people to seek God. By depending on God, King Asa was able to live in peace. He reigned over southern Judah for 41 years until he was laid to rest with his ancestors. So how was the situation in northern Israel while King Asa reigned over southern Judah for 41 years? 1 Kings chapter 15 and chapter 16 tell us that, while King Asa reigned over southern Judah, the kings in northern Israel changed hands six times. Northern Israel was unstable politically and religiously because they did not stop idol worship and continued to do evil before God. The tribes in the northern kingdom showed little unity and they repeatedly betrayed and rebelled against each other to gain an upper hand. By demonstrating what happened to the kings of northern Israel, the Bible shows us how God judges against those who worship idols and engage in evil acts. Starting today, we'll learn about those kings in northern Israel while King Asa was king in southern Judah. In the second year of King Asa, King Jeroboam, the first king of northern Israel who worshipped idols, finally died, and his son Nadab became king after him. King Nadab exemplified a bad king and a tragic king. He stayed in power only for two years until he was murdered by one of his military leaders. What does the Bible say about him? According to 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 26, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father, and in his sin, which he made Israel sin. The Bible records that Nadab did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father. In his sin, he made Israel sin. What was the sin that Jeroboam caused Israel to commit? First Kings chapter 14 tells us how Jeroboam and the Israelites worshipped idols and angered the Lord. Nadab also worshipped idols like his father Jeroboam and caused the Israelites to sin against God. Nadab did not get to reign over Israel for too long. His reign as king ended in two years. He was killed by Baasha, who was the son of Ahijah from the house of Issachar. In 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 27, it is said then Baasha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Baasha struck him down in Jibethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel were laying siege to Jibethon. Let's dig in a bit into this final scene surrounding the death of King Nadab in his short-lived reign as king. Gibethon was a city that belonged to the Philistines, and it was a city that connected Egypt and Syria. As such, it was a strategically important city. Therefore, it is not surprising we find King Nadab leading a battle to seize this place. What we know from the word in 1 Kings we just read, Nadab was laying siege to Gibethon and was about to attack the city. At that critical moment, he was killed by one of his subordinates that conspired against him. That was Baasha. According to the biblical scholars, Baasha must have been the military leader who had the real control over the military. We do not know the details of the power struggle that might have been there between Nadab and Baasha, but we do know that Baasha was successful in rebelling against King Nadab and assassinating him, just as they were about to attack a strategically important Philistine city. That was the third year of King Asa's reign when Nadab was killed and Baasha became king. Not only did he kill Nadab, but Baasha proceeded to eradicate the entire household of Jeroboam. Let's read 1 Kings chapter 15 verses 29 and 30. It came about, as soon as he was king, he struck down all the household of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam any persons alive until he had destroyed them, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. And because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned, and which he made Israel sin, because of his provocation, with which he provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Baasha killed everyone in the household of Jeroboam. This was according to the word of God which was spoken by the prophet Ahijah, found in 1 Kings chapter 14. Jeroboam angered God by doing evil acts and worshipping idols. Therefore, using Baasha as his instrument, God's judgment was carried out when God divided his people into two countries after King Solomon he chose Jeroboam to rule over Israel however by committing evil acts and worshiping idols Jeroboam angered God his son Nadab was no different Nadab did evil in the sight of the Lord by worshiping idols the same sin his father caused Israel to commit That is why God allowed Baasha to wipe away the household of Jeroboam who rejected God and did evil. The kingship changed over to Baasha 24 years after Jeroboam became king. The next time, we'll learn about Baasha who conspired against Nadab to become the third king of northern Israel. When he brought down the household of Jeroboam and Nadab He seemed righteous. So did he reign as a righteous king? We'll answer this question next time we meet from Story of Kings. Goodbye.
0: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is Job's Patient Endurance. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill.
2: Well, um, I want to begin this morning by asking a question. And the question is this, are people becoming more impatient? Well, according to a recent survey of 2000 British adults, That seems to be the case. Three-quarters of those that responded to the survey said that digital technology is to blame for an ever-growing, impatient attitude in the lives of people. That's interesting. You know, what the survey revealed, respondents said that they became frustrated, for example, after waiting just 28 seconds for a kettle of water to boil. Now, in Britain, they're drinking tea. I think they should be drinking coffee. You can make that a lot faster. But you see the point. 28 seconds, and people are getting frustrated that the water is not boiling. Respondents also said that they got frustrated after waiting just 25 seconds for a traffic light to change. And I can relate to that. In about 20, 25 seconds, 30 seconds, I begin to lose my cool as well. Additionally, it only took 22 seconds for people to start cursing at their TV or their device that they were streaming on. If the movie that they had downloaded wasn't streaming within 22 seconds, they had become extremely frustrated. After just 20 seconds, people became angry or frustrated when ink didn't dry on the greeting card that they were writing on. That's incredible, but get this. People became frustrated after just 16 seconds of waiting for a web page to load. Now, we might look at the people that took the survey and said, what's wrong with them? But the truth be told, I can relate to every one of these. If a web page that I have pulled up takes 16 seconds to load, I am beyond frustrated. I expect it to happen, I don't know, in five seconds, four seconds, three seconds. Just out of curiosity, how many of you that are watching me this morning would agree with this survey that digital technology is making people more impatient. Now, it's not necessarily a good thing that we are becoming more impatient, is it? The fact of the matter is, patience is a wonderful virtue to have. We love patient people. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. One of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life, in my life, is patience. So it's not a good thing when there's something in our life like digital technology that is producing just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in us. Digital technology is making us impatient, the Holy Spirit is wanting us to become more patient. I think one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible with regard to patience is found in Proverbs 16.32. Listen to this, better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. That's incredible. It's better to be a patient person than a warrior. It's better to have self-control than one who could conquer a city. By the way, if you're listening to me today and you're married, you want to know the greatest gift that you can give to your spouse? One of the greatest gifts? An attitude of patience. If you're here today and you're listening to me and you have kids, you want to know one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your kids? It's just a spirit of patience. Being patient with people is one of the greatest things that you can give to them and do for them. Now, there are times in which our patience is going to be tested and there is perhaps no greater time than when our patience is going to be tested than when the world that we're living in is turned upside down. When our world is turned upside down, our patience is going to be tested. Listen, when our world is turned upside down, we want nothing more than for things to return to the status quo as quickly as possible. We really do. I do, you do, I know. It's like, oh my goodness, everything's topsy turvy. How quickly can we get back to normal? Take our current situation COVID 19. Our world got turned on its head overnight, literally. And you want to know that one of the pressing questions that came out right away the pressing question that came out was how quickly can we get things back to normal? This is what dominated the news, it dominated people's thinking and conversation. I wonder how long this is going to last, and how quickly can we get back to normal? And I get it, it's a legit question. When things get turned upside down, our patience to endure oftentimes goes right out the window. I know mine does. We can even be impatient with God. Things get turned upside down and we look to God and we say, God will fix this and then God doesn't fix it immediately. And so what happens? We get impatient with God. Now, why do I tell you all this? I tell you all of this because today we are looking at a man whose personal world got turned upside down. As a matter of fact, his world got turned upside down on a level that very few of us can comprehend. He was a man who lost everything. He lost his health, his wealth, his family, and he lost it very quickly. And the man that I'm talking about is none other than Job. Job. There's a book in the Bible named after him. Job was a man who found himself in the middle of a conversation between the Lord and Satan. And it's a fascinating conversation that happens and is recorded for us in the Bible. And again, if it weren't in the Bible, I probably wouldn't even believe that this conversation happened. But it is in the Bible and we get an insight into this conversation. A conversation that ultimately led God to allow Satan to turn Job's world entirely upside down. So it's on that note, church, it's my honor to present to us the word of God today. We will be in Job chapter one, beginning in verse eight, and we'll go through verse 12. So I present to you the word of God this morning. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord." Again, amen. Church, I present to you the Word of God today. So basically, Satan is given a blank check. God tells Satan, you can do whatever you want to Job. You can't personally bring physical harm to him, but you can do whatever you want. Listen, when Satan is given a blank check to do whatever he wants in your life, you can bet that your world is going to get turned upside down. That's exactly what happens to Job. And as a result, Job loses everything. Job loses everything. As a matter of fact, God eventually allows Satan to bring physical harm to Job. We read a little bit later in chapter 2, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Ouch. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were suffering on the level that Job was suffering, I would be praying to God to fix things immediately. God, come to my rescue. God, make things right. Return to the status quo. What was, what I had and my health and everything, please get me back to normal as quickly as possible. The great irony, again, is that I would probably get impatient with God. If he delayed a day or two longer than I thought he would, I would grow impatient with God. I'd be like, God, what are you doing? Why are you taking so long? Perhaps even to the point where I would accuse God of wrongdoing. God, this is your fault. What in the world are you doing? But you know what's amazing? Job didn't do any of this. Job didn't do any of this. When Job's world was turned upside down, you know what he did? He endured patiently. He endured patiently. He didn't grow impatient with God. And more importantly, he didn't accuse God of any wrongdoing at all. Job 1.22 says this, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, I don't know that I could have done it, but Job did. As a matter of fact, Job does just the opposite. Not only does he not grow impatient, not only does he not accuse God of any wrong, you know what he does? He worships God. He uses this opportunity in which he is brought incredibly low to worship God. Job 1.20 and 21 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. Wow. Again, I don't know that I could do that. If I had lost my family, my health, my wealth, if I had lost everything, I would be screaming at God to make things right. And when that didn't happen in Job's life, what does he do? He worships the Lord. He blesses his name. Charles Spurgeon once said this, My dear friends, when grief presses you to the dust, worship there, worship even there. It makes me wonder if I have the type of faith when my world is turned upside down and I'm pressed to the dust and life is difficult, how will I respond? Will I be patient and wait upon the Lord? Will I bless his name, not only when he gives, but when he takes away? I worship his name in the good times and in the bad." I know that's exactly what Job did. Now one of the things that makes Job's story so incredible is that Job had no answers. Job had no answers. He endured patiently without absolutely any answers, not even one. Job wasn't privy to the conversation that had happened between the Lord and Satan. Again, a conversation I wouldn't even believe happened unless it was written. If it hadn't been written in the Bible, I wouldn't even believe it. But Job had no clue that that conversation had happened. Job had no clue that God had given Satan free reign to tear Job down as a means of testing him. Job wasn't privy to any of that. He had no answers. One day, Job's life was great, and the next day it wasn't. And he had no clue why. And the truth be told, folks, that will often be the case in your life and in my life. There are going to be times in which your world is turned upside down, my world is turned upside down, and we're going to have very few answers, if any at all. Many of you right now are in the midst of this COVID-19 epidemic, and you don't have any answers. I don't have any answers. We have very few answers. When is this going to end? How long is this going to last? How am I going to get back on my feet? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to put food on the table? All of these questions we don't have answers to. So in a a very real sense, we can appreciate what Job was going through. He was suffering immensely without any answers. But like Job, we must learn to endure patiently. When God allows our world to be turned upside down, one of the things that we have to remember is that we need to wait upon the Lord. We need to let the Lord's purposes find their, uh, go their course. We want what the Lord is doing to come to pass. As much as we might want things to stop and to get back to normal, more importantly, we want God's will to be done. The fact of the matter is that the answers we're looking for might not ever come, at least on this side of heaven there might not be any answers to the suffering that we endure on this side of heaven. It might only be that when we're in eternity that we look back and see the big picture, that we look back and get the answers that we have longed for. But the question becomes can we endure patiently and wait upon the Lord during times of suffering when our worlds are turned upside down even if he doesn't give us a whole lot of answers? Now just like Job we will probably have no shortage of people in our lives who think they have the answers we're looking for. Remember, Job had three friends. And they thought they understood Job's questions and they thought they had the answers. And they were willing to give him an earful. The fact of the matter is, these men didn't have a clue. They might have been well-intentioned, but they were not attuned to God's intentions. As a matter of fact, they spoke with such ignorance, the Bible says that God grew angry with them. Listen to this Job 42, 7 says, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. The point is simple. There are going to be times in your life and in my life when our world is turned upside down, and you will have very few answers. You may not have any answers, and neither will anyone else. That's the key. Neither will anyone else. There are going to be plenty, again, plenty of people who will speak into your life, proclaiming to have the answers you're looking for, but they're not going to have the answers you're looking for. And what are we to do when our world is turned upside down and we don't have the answers we're looking for? We must learn to endure patiently. We wait upon the Lord. We trust in Him. We trust in Him in the good times and we trust in Him in the bad times. We trust in Him when everything is smooth sailing in our lives and we trust in Him when everything is turned upside down. As we might like God to speed things up, as much as we might want Him to speed things up, we have to be open for God to fulfill his purposes. See, here's the deal. There is always a reason for where God has you. Do you believe that? There's always a reason for where God has you. When he has you on a road that's smooth and perfect, there's a reason for you being there. But when he turns your world upside down, you have to believe even then God has a purpose for me being here. Listen, when the coronavirus pandemic hit a few weeks ago, everyone's first thought was this. How quickly can we get past this? How quickly can we move past this? When can we get back to normal? This is what dominated again the news. It didn't just dominate the news, it dominated conversations across America. They dominated conversations in my own home. But it seemed that very few people were concerned with what is God doing in the midst of this pandemic. What are God's purposes for allowing this to happen? You know, forget enduring patiently and waiting upon the Lord to fulfill his purposes. Let's just obsess with how quickly we can get past this. But see, as Christians, when God allows our world to get turned upside down, we need to be wise. We need to stop and we need to go, God, what are you doing? There's a reason that you have me here. And I wanna be patient and wait upon you and not rush the process. I gotta be honest with you, when the pandemic started, I was thinking the same way. I was thinking, how quickly can we get past this? How quickly can we get things back to normal? Not only in my personal life, but here at the church, I was far more concerned with getting things back to normal than I was with the idea of waiting patiently upon the Lord and letting Him fulfill His purposes for me, for this church, for this country in this time. So there's a fascinating set of circumstances that happened in the Old Testament that really illustrates mankind's impatience when things get turned upside down. It happened when God allowed the nation of Israel to be conquered by the Babylonians. Now what you need to know is that the nation of Israel had been exceedingly wicked. There had been idolatry, corruption, The priesthood was corrupt. Um, It was just a bad situation and God had had enough. And so God allowed the Babylonians to come down from the north and conquer Jerusalem. Now, listen, if a foreign country is allowed to conquer the country that you're living in, your world has been turned upside down. That's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. Their world had been turned upside down. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The prophet Jeremiah was told that they would be taken off into exile, the nation of Israel would be taken off into exile for 70 years, and that God had a reason for them being in exile for 70 years. But here's where it gets interesting. Along comes a prophet, and this prophet, his name was Hananiah, and Hananiah seemingly has great news for the nation of Israel. And here's the great news. Your captivity isn't going to last 70 years. It's only going to last two. That's 68 years. That's a 68 year difference. This is great news. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah. This is Hananiah speaking. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon took away from this place, and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of jehoiakim king of Judah. And all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon." Again, this is seemingly great news. Their world had been turned upside down, and it's only going to last two years. See, Hananiah didn't want the nation of Israel to have to endure patiently for 70 years. I mean, who wants to have to wait 70 years for God to fulfill his purposes? Two years sounds a whole lot better. Hananiah wants what every person wants when their world is turned upside down. They want things to be returned to the status quo as quickly as possible. But here's the problem. God had a purpose for the nation of Israel being in exile for 70 years. He had many purposes for them being there for 70 years. Hananiah had a problem and his problem was he wasn't attuned to the purposes of God. Do you want to know one of the key reasons why the nation of Israel had to go into exile for 70 years? It was because they had ignored God's command to give the land a Sabbath rest every seventh year. And so the land had not had a Sabbath rest in a very long time. We read about this in 2nd Chronicles, it says this, The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation it rested, until the 70 years was completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Now listen very carefully to me, folks. Here's the point. God always has a purpose or purposes when he turns our world upside down. He turned the nation of Israel's world upside down for a lot of reasons, to purge them of idolatry, to humble them, to cause them to repent, but also so that the land could get its rest. In the same way, when God turns your world upside down or my world upside down, you must believe in those moments, God has a purpose or purposes for doing that. He's doing good things, even in the midst of things being turned upside down. And folks, the last thing you want to do is rush the process. I know our world has been turned upside down because of COVID-19 and all of us want things to get back to normal. But I think it's imperative that we who are Christians stop and ask the question, God, what are you doing? God, may your purposes be fulfilled in my life, in my family's life, in the church's life, in this country's life. And may we not rush that process. I'm not even kidding. This past week, uh, I saw on the internet televangelist who had a service, and he again, he was the only one in there, but what he said was incredible. He said that the coronavirus, prophetically he was saying this, the coronavirus would come to an end March 31st. And he actually blew, he went, and he goes, it'll be blown away on March 31st. Perhaps some of you saw this on the internet or on TV. The fact of the matter is, March 31st came and went. All he did was he proved himself to be a modern-day Hananiah. He wasn't seeking God's purposes in the midst of this pandemic we're in. He was just quickly trying to get us out from underneath it. By the way, do you want to know what the end result for Hananiah was? Well, I'll let the Scriptures tell you. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord." That's interesting. When we seek to rush the processes of God, we're acting in rebellion to Him. When God turns our world upside down, as much as we might want to get out from underneath that, if we rush the process, we're really rushing God's processes, and we're acting in rebellion. What we need to do is endure patiently and pray and ask that God's purposes be fulfilled. We might not have all the answers. Again, we might not have all the answers until we're in heaven. But what's most important when our world is turned upside down isn't that we get things back to normal, it is that God's purposes gets fulfilled. And that is why we as believers must have great discernment. We must show great discernment at all times and in all ways. What we need to do when our world is turned upside down is seek godly counsel. We need to seek the counsel of those who have gone through difficult times and times of trial so that they can encourage us to do what they did in their times of trial, which is endure patiently. Wait upon the Lord, don't rush the process. Pray and ask that God's purposes be fulfilled. Even if you're not totally sure what God is up to, Asked that whatever God is up to would be brought to completion in your life, in your family's life, in your church's life, in your country's life. By the way, there is good reason to wait upon the Lord. The Bible speaks a lot about this subject. For example, Lamentations 3.25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him, Gosh, I could preach a whole sermon just on this one verse. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. It makes me wonder how often I rush the process, how often I'm tempted just to, God, hurry up, speed things up. You're taking too long, so I'll take matters into my own hands. And I need to remember that God wants us to wait upon him, not just in the good times. It's easy to wait upon the Lord when things are good, but especially in the bad times, especially when our worlds are turned upside down. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, and I can tell you that the Lord has been abundantly good to me during the times of my life that I've waited upon him. I haven't always done it well, but the few times that I have, I can tell you, God has always delivered. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing better than God doing things on his timetable according to his purposes that's always better than me getting what I want. When I get what I want, it's always lesser than what God has for me. Isaiah 40 says this, it's a verse that many of you are familiar with, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Folks, you want good reason to wait upon the Lord? Spend some time this week meditating upon this verse. Our world has been turned upside down. What are we to do? Wait for the Lord. Endure patiently. Even like Job who had no answers, we have very few answers right now. Folks, wait upon the Lord. Endure patiently. Ask God for His purposes to be fulfilled in your life. And what will be the result? The Lord will be good to you. You will renew your strength. You will be like an eagle. You shall run and not be weary. You shall walk and not be faint. You know, I have ha- ha- I've heard a lot of people say a lot of different things during this coronavirus pandemic, but I-, I haven't heard a lot of voices telling us to wait upon the Lord and be patient and to pray for God's purposes to be done. And that was, that's the whole point of this message is everybody's rushing to get past this. We as Christians need to stop in the midst of this and look to the Lord and wait upon Him. I want to finish this morning with a verse. It was written by King David in Psalm 27. It says this, Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. I love this verse. Do you know that the truly strong person isn't the person who rushes to fix things? It isn't the person who rushes to get out from underneath the difficult trials that we're in. The truly strong person is the person who waits upon the Lord. That is where true strength is manifested. When we resist the temptation from the world, all the temptations from the world, and we wait upon the Lord, not only is the person who waits upon the Lord extremely strong, they're incredibly wise. They're taking the counsel of God himself who says, you're better to wait for me and wait upon me and look to me and my purposes. I've got a purpose and a reason for you being here. I've got a purpose and a reason for your world to be turned upside down. Trust me in the midst of this. Walk with me in the midst of this. Listen, our world has been turned upside down. And before long, things will get back to normal or a new normal. But you know what? It's just a matter of time before your world is turned upside down again. It'll happen soon. It'll happen often. When it does, resist the temptation to rush what God is doing in your life during those times. Be patient, wait upon him, pray for his purposes to be fulfilled, look to him, walk with him, talk with him, seek him for wisdom. Listen, folks, I started this sermon by talking about this survey in which everybody agrees the world is becoming increasingly impatient. That means that this is a wonderful opportunity for those of us who are Christians to show incredible patience. Even as our world is turned upside down, we will show incredible patience as we wait upon the Lord, not growing angry with him or impatient with him or accusing him of wrong, but waiting upon him, humbly trusting him and walking with him each and every day. I hope this message is a blessing to you. We wanna invite you to join us next week. Again, make this part of your regular routine. We miss you, we love you. And thank you so much again for inviting us into your homes. Would you pray with me now? Well, Father in heaven, we thank you that even when our world is turned upside down, that you have a purpose or purposes for us being there. God, we may not always know what those purposes are, but may we have faith that you know what you're doing. Help us to endure patiently. God, when our worlds are turned upside down, may we have the patience of Job, even when we don't have answers, God, may we endure patiently waiting upon you. God, we know that you are good to those who wait upon you. You will renew our strength. You will raise us up and you will fulfill your purposes according to your ways and according to your time. And that's what we want more than anything. So God, give us patience this week as we go. We love you. We thank you. listening to Unity in Christ, the English Hour in our broadcast program. You can download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries by visiting Google, Play Store, or the iTunes App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's program on your Android or iPhone. Just search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602-866-8999
1: or email us at heartandsoul.org at gmail.com
0: Coming up next is Praying for the Next Generation.
1: Hello,
3: my name is Deborah Choi. I'm the host of this program, Praying for the Next Generation. I would like to start with Psalm 78, verses 5-7. through For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. The Hebrew word for tell in verse 6 is "affair," which means to commune, recount, declare, show forth, speak, and relate. His word commands us to tell the next generation about His power and His glorious works, so they may know them, put their confidence in God, and live in obedience to His Word. One sunny afternoon many years ago, my grandmother spoke the following blessing over me during our phone conversation. My beloved daughter, we serve the Lord who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. God loves you so much and He has a special plan for your life. I still remember that defining moment and the sound of a loving voice as if it were yesterday. When I heard those words, I felt so loved by her blessing and the familiar scriptures. Yet, I had no idea what she meant. In a 16-year-old teenager's mind, I could not fathom her godly intention nor the true meaning of this blessing. But she did not stop there. She continued to speak God's blessings, counsel me with His wisdom, and interceded for me throughout my life until her passing on Thanksgiving Day 2015. She knew all my frailties and shortcomings, but she did not focus on them. She saw me as God's beloved daughter and believed in me in Christ, even when I didn't know my true identity. She continually showed me the exquisite beauty of His unconditional love. Then one day, God showed me a small flame burning in my heart. It was a passion for the generations, and the spiritual legacy that she had modeled throughout her life of radical thanksgiving for God's Word and through unceasing intercession. My beloved, when you see the next generation, what thoughts come to your mind? Are they positive and hopeful or negative and hopeless? This generation needs you to see them through God's eyes, love them with His heart, and show them who Jesus is through your godly life and persistent intercession. God gave each generation a specific purpose and destiny to fulfill, and the next generation cannot fulfill them without you. It takes the divine unity of every generation's heart beating in unison with the heart of our Heavenly Father as we run this race of faith together with one vision and one passion. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord of all generations, we'll sing of your goodness and loving kindness forever. You're a faithful God who keeps all your promises to every generation. Give us eyes to see the next generation the way you do, and give us ears to hear your word over them. We will tell them about your love, your power, your glorious works, and your mighty wonders. Lord, we hear your voice calling every generation to be united as one in your love. Restore our unity and teach us how to truly love each other. Show us how we can faithfully guard this sweet harmony among us in your peace, being one body and one spirit as we have been called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. Together, we will run this race into your abundance with fresh passion and determination, so that we will reach the purpose and divine destiny you have called us to fulfill. We will continually press on to reach the end of the race for the divine invitation of reaching the goal and receiving the heavenly prize in you. Father, thank you for carrying out your divine purpose and perfect will in us, far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by the power of your Holy Spirit. Now we offer up to you, mighty God, all the highest praise that rises from every church in every generation through Jesus Christ and for all yet to be manifested through time and eternity forever and ever. Amen. My beloved, today is the last day of this program. It has been my great joy to share His word and pray with you for the next generation. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. May His favor rest upon you and to a thousand generations. Beloved, always remember, God loves you with His everlasting love.